I am so excited today. You are going to see the passion of our church. I believe you're going to see the passion of Jesus Christ. Why we are here today. Oh my gosh, God is so good. God is awesome. Are you guys happy to be here? Amen. I am so happy that you're here. Thank you, uh, Israel and Shalane, for bringing your family. Amen. Let's bless the Pinto family for being here today. Amen. All, all of our other visitors, praise the Lord. All of you who are family, familia, gloria a Dios, que onda. Amen. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Today, God, I know, is going to do a wonderful work in this place. He already is. We're learning the Sermon on the Mount. This is it. This is it. This is the climax. After this, we move on to salt and light. We move on to the law and to fulfillment of that. So I will not be reviewing uh, the Beatitudes anymore. So if you want to listen to all the messages in their entirety, like I said, they are on the website. But we still will be in the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone say the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you. The Sermon on the Mount is the place where Jesus came to preach his greatest message. So if you want to get in the word and you really want to know what Jesus wants you to know, I always recommend people to start with the Beatitudes. It's just really simple. Stay at home, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you're going to know what Jesus is all about. And the word Beatitude comes from the Latin word happiness, which is also blessed. That beat there, that's a Latin for happiness. And the word blessed means happy. So let's give it a try. We've done this every week. Everybody smile and say, I'm blessed. Now look at your neighbor and say, you're blessed. Oh, praise the Lord. Smile for Jesus. Amen. And we've been learning the, the, the connection to John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Amen. And that means to be filled, overflowing each day and every day again and again and again. More of Jesus. That's what the concept here. That's what Jesus is teaching us. If you're in Matthew 5, can you say I'm there? Let's read it for the last time in this series. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to them, came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Now the longest portion, the most in-depth part of this entire thing, literally the book in the finale, he says, which is today's lesson, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You know you're in a radical church when I'm preaching this and people are saying, Amen. Amen. You know you came to a different place this morning. Hallelujah. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Praise God. Now I want to preface today's message by saying a few things and putting some things in context today that you will understand where we're going. Because I am telling you, in the next a few minutes here, I'm going to get so lost in this message. I believe God is going to touch you, and I don't believe anyone is going to be the same again. I give you that guarantee or your money back, okay? And it's free, by the way. But I'll give you back whatever you gave here today, okay? And I want you to listen here. Here's the deal. 
You've got to say to yourself, when we pray, God, make this real to me. When we get to that point, before I preach, I'm going to pray. You ask God to make it real, and he will. Well, here's the correlation. Here's the connection why I believe Metro Praise is so excited for this. It it has a lot to do with me, the pastor, because when my wife and I started this church, we started this with the intention of wanting to be like Christ. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about my experience in the church. When I grew up in the church, the church that I went to, the pastor had already had an affair with his secretary, left another church, started that church, and that was the church I was going to. His son then had an affair, and my parents left the church on that second affair. They then go to another church where the pastor's mean and he ridicules them and embarrasses them. So they go to another church. This church preaches prosperity to the point where it's just ridiculous. The pastor's driving a Lexus and all of this, but yet the roof has water leaking in the middle of service. This is how I was brought up. Are you all with me? Okay. Then I go to another church, a denominational church, and, and it's, you know, the church of the frozen chosen. Okay. They're as cold as ice. All right. And, and, I mean, I'm just telling you, it was dry as a bone. I mean, you could not start a fire in there if you had gasoline and a blowtorch. It was just cold as ice. That's when I ripped up my Bible and went and served the devil. My parents had bought me this beautiful $80 study Bible, and it was the leather-bound, just awesome Bible. And I remember one day looking at the hypocrisy of the church. I was already dabbling with drugs. My mom and I got in an argument, and in front of my mom, I just tore up the Bible and just threw it in the living room. You see, at that point, I said to myself, if this is what Christianity is, I don't want it. I don't want the Pentecostal pimp pastor. I don't want this mean guy that doesn't care about my family. I don't want this frozen chosen church that just talks about, oh, way back when, when God used to do such and such. And so I went to what I could feel. And at that time, what I could feel was drugs, and I could feel sex, and I could feel fighting, and I could feel my friends hanging out late nights. And that's what church became to me. That was my people. And one day my life fell apart, man. I just, I, I just probably did too many drugs. I probably just didn't get enough sleep. All of those things came crashing on me. And I went to my mother and I said, will you put me in a mental hospital? There was no respect in my mind at that point for Jesus. It wasn't pray for me. That was just like the same as talking to the tooth fairy. It would have been like me saying, Mom, can you ask Santa Claus for a new bike for Christmas? I, there was no in my mind at 18 years old that God even was there. He, he was not there. He was nothing to me. And my mother, who was a praying mother this whole entire time, said, Joe, I won't bring you to a mental hospital, but I'll pray for you. And I wish I could say right there I got it. And I was like, hallelujah, mama, I'll be home. But my mom will tell you, at that moment, I cursed her out. It was one of the worst fights we ever had. She said, I won't even pick up the phone if he calls me back. I can't talk to him. And I just cussed her out because Jesus was not going to be my answer. But as problems kept getting worse and I was having anxiety attacks and panic attacks because my life was falling apart, I went to my mother's house and I showed up. And she said she hesitantly let me in. But at the kitchen table, I said to my mother, if Jesus is real, then I will serve him. If he can change me right now, I will serve him. If he cannot, then to hell with all this and I'm going out the door and you don't ever talk to me about it again. Help me get into a program. And that day, I opened my heart up that much. And the Bible says, just a seed of faith will change your world. Amen. And that day, I got high on the most high. I got hooked on Jesus. Amen. And he changed me. Now, the moment I got saved, I was like, whoa, I was on fire, okay? 
I mean, I was still smoking and cussing, but I just love Jesus, all right? And I'm like, man, y'all got to get Jesus, man. He is so blanking good, man. And then I just started getting sanctified, and God is cleaning me up, and he's still cleaning me up. But, but listen to me. I went back to these churches, and I started visiting them, and they started putting me out of the church. And, and the young people started to make fun of me. It was like one church said I wasn't holy enough for them. And then another church said I was too radical for them. And I began to see just how corrupt what I felt the church was. And now, instead of ripping up my Bible and taking it out on Jesus, God said to me, Joe, and this is how he called me. I'll tell you the quick story. I was in a nursing home. And I was delivering pizzas. I had probably just been about delivered from cigarettes right around that time, stopping cussing and doing all that crazy stuff. And I was dropping off pizzas, and I was in a nursing home, and this woman went to shake my hand. And these nurses' aides said, don't touch her because she'll bite you. And she said, if you touch her, she's going to bite you. And, and I just looked at these nurses, and I said, I don't care, man. And I just struck out my hand. And I said, man, I want to tell you, sister, God loves you. He has a plan for your life, and can I pray with you? And so uh, these nurses' aides are watching me, and I'm just so radical. I'm praying for this woman in the nursing home. You know, I get my money, and I walk out, and in my car, I was like, bam, God just hit me. He said, I'm going to use your life to touch the hurting. He says, and people are going to try to tell you not to do it. But you touch them anyway, and I'm going to use you. And tears just started coming down my eyes. And from that day forward, I began to take the money that I was making, go buy groceries, and I went to the inner city and began to hand out food and knock on doors. And I began to preach at our town festivals. And then God called me to New Orleans, and I went down to New Orleans and worked in nine different housing projects and been to ten Mardi Gras preaching in, in the debauchery and the disgustingness of sin and just preaching and seeing souls saved and lives changed and started a church in my house, and many of you know, brought in over 30 homeless people, gave away over 40 trucks of semi-trucks of food, and just touched people's lives that I'm still receiving testimonies for today. But I want to say all that to say this. What God showed me that, that turned me on to Him was a different type of church than I was seeing. Now, I'm not saying that we're the only ones and that this is some cult and we're going to intermarry and live on a commune, okay? So let me say, thank you, Jesus. Okay, there's no Jim Jones here, all right? So there are other churches, and throughout my experiences, I began to look at other churches, and I began to see the ones that were doing it. And the only way you can know if somebody is doing the thing is whether or not they're doing it according to this. This is the standard, the Bible, the Word of God, period. And I began to read, you know, true religion is taking care of orphans and widows. So I would ask the church, where's your outreach program? And if they didn't have an outreach program, I would say that wasn't going to be a church for me. And I began to see in the Bible that the, 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 the meaning of the church wasn't just Christians checking off on the census for their taxes, Jewish, Muslim, Christian. I'm a Christian and a priester. Come on, Christmas and Easter. That in this Bible, these, these, these were actually disciples, that they lived for it, that they were more passionate about this than people were about money. They were more passionate about this than fame and popularity, that this was the boast of their life. And and I started to get around people like this and started to pray for a church like this. And what I began to find out is that this scripture right here was neglected. That I have probably logged in over, I have now been doing this over a decade. Believe it or not, I'm only 31, but I got saved at 18, was preaching almost about five, six months afterwards. So I've been doing this over a decade as a pastor preaching the gospel. 
And I've probably logged in over a thousand messages of other pastors, probably even more. I may be up to 5,000. And any day when I sit down and start listening to messages, I can listen anywhere between two to ten in one day. Honestly, I'll just put them on, just one after another. Like last night, I listened to six, just making the calendar. Six messages. Because a lot of these messages are like these little Pop-Tart messages. They're like 25 minutes in churches, and I just keep popping them in. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll listen to about six of yours before I get full. I'm hungry for Jesus. Amen? But I started listening to all these messages, but this was getting neglected. I've heard so many messages on how God wants to make the church rich, and I understand that there's a financial aspect of our lives, and Jesus talked about that. I understand that. But Jesus never put in money with happiness. He never tied those two together. He never said, if you have money, you're happy. He never put it that way. And, and then I began to realize that, that, that the churches, they would always talk about these messages like Jesus was your great big Santa Claus in heaven. And the only reason why he created the cosmos, the universe, the earth, and put you on this planet was for, number one, your feelings and what you thought was best in life. I began to hear messages like, you know, your best life now, and God's here to make you happy, and you want to come up here, God's going to keep making you happy. And if you're not happy, then God's, you know, you don't have faith because it's all about you. It's all about you. It's like I began to hear these messages that no matter how encouraging they were, they were so shallow. They were like paper-thin messages just saying God wants you happy. Do you know that today that there are, are literally hundreds of millions of Buddhists who go to Buddhist statues, throw money in the wishing well? Do you know why they do that? You think they're stupid? Chinese, China, Chinese people, the education is one of the highest in the world. Do you know why people are doing that? Because they want to be happy. That's the same lie. It's just come here, be happy, throw money here, prosper, all these things. And I began to notice that what Christ talked about was this, this little thing right here. And it's, and it's little in the sense of the whole grasp of the Bible, but it's actually seen throughout the whole Bible. And in the Beatitudes, it's actually three times longer than everything else. Jesus says, blessed are you when you suffer for me. So I began to realize that the greatest thing in life is not my feelings. That life is not all about me. That Jesus is not sitting in heaven going, how can I just make this trip in his, his life a little bit easier? That actually, there may be things as a Christian I go through that hurt me. Where if I wasn't a Christian, I never would have went through them. And I'm not talking about sin and depression and all of those things. I'm talking specifically about suffering for Christ. Meaning, Today, the people of the world may have it easier in some ways. They may be able to go to their job, get drunk, party on the weekends, or just, you know, watch their ball games, fellas, and look at a little porn here every now and then, and, you know, lust in their heart. And here you and I start living for God, and we may begin to suffer reproach. Here's the altar call of the 21st century. Let me sum up this introduction like this. Here's the altar call that pastors give. You want to get rich? You want to have a good life? You want to have all your problems taken away? Then come to Jesus. But let me tell you the altar call of the first century. If you want to die and lay down your life and lose everything, come to Jesus. There's a difference. You see, here in America... We've switched the gospel with, here's Jesus, and he'll give you all of this if you come to him. Instead of us saying, he wants all of this from us first, and then he'll give us the gospel. 
You see, what we're looking at is, well, I'll get my family back. And yes, that is very true. Those, those of you here who have issues in your family, God can put your family together. Amen, Carrasco family? God will do that. Things that sin has destroyed, everything will become new. God will do that. But let me ask you a question. What if Christianity cost you your job? Would you still be a Christian? What if instead of coming to church and God gives you a job, what if now you come to church and now you lose your job? What if instead of coming to church, your whole family's excited and they applaud for you and say, oh, thank you today for coming. What if instead you go home from church and your family's disgusted with you, beat you with canes and put you out of their house and say they never want to see you again because of Christ? Do you still want to be a Christian? You see, this is a forgotten message in the body of Christ. And Jesus actually said it's for our happiness. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when people say all kinds of evil about you. Where is that gospel? Why have I heard thousands of messages on God wants to bless me with the car and and money cometh and all of these messages, but nobody's ever taught me how to be blessed when I'm persecuted. No one's ever taught me how to be blessed when I'm preaching the gospel and a homeless man is spitting in my face. No one has taught me how to be blessed when I'm at Mardi Gras and a Jewish man who lost his grandparents in the Holocaust is so angry he wants to punch me because I've just told him only those who call on Jesus go to heaven. And he is saying, you're telling me my Holocaust victim family went to hell. I hate you and your God. Who teaches us how to preach the gospel then? Who teaches us how to preach the gospel in the midst of an educational society, both in grammar and secondary, where they teach us that we come from monkey and apes, and if you tell them that you believe in a God that you're created in His image, they will mock you and scorn you. Who teaches us how to keep preaching in those circumstances? You see, that is what Jesus taught us to do. Jesus taught us to preach and to keep living for him, even though it cost us our life. And the Bible says we can be happy while we do it. We can rejoice while we do it. And that's the introduction. Are you ready? I want to talk to you today about being persecuted for being a Christian. We're not talking about you being persecuted for being a jerk. We're not talking about you just going to your job and saying, all y'all sinners going to hell. Okay, and then you're getting slapped. You know, we used to call this the, 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 the martyrdom syndrome because at Mardi Gras, people would hold up these signs, all gay people go to hell, okay? And then they, they would get spit on, and they'd be like, I'm just suffering for the Lord, brother. No, man, you're dumb. You're dumb. What are you doing? You know what I'm saying? That's like going to like a basketball game, like waving a KKK flag. That is retarded. That's dumb. You don't do that. You reach out to people. Jesus wasn't walking around holding up a sign saying, I just came to let you know you're going to hell. Okay, Jesus came to love people. So we're not talking about being a jerk as as a Christian. We're talking about just true Christianity, preaching for the Lord. And right now in America, there is a sense of freedom, but we are losing our rights, and this may happen to us here. Now they tell us that we can't bring our Bibles to school anymore. Our children, they're telling you on the workplace that it's inappropriate. Listen to me. While the homosexuals came out the closet, they're pushing Christians back in the closet. But I'm not ready to go in the closet. Amen? We're going to stay out here and keep preaching. But that's what's happening right now. The agenda of media, the agenda of mainstream government is trying to shift towards oppression of Christianity. 
And you may be persecuted. And you're going to learn today about our brothers around the world. My friends, we live in America. America probably only has 400 million people. Okay? There are 6 billion people on the planet. That means that there's 5.5 billion other people going through things that you and I probably are never going to go through. And I'm going to teach you what our brothers and sisters are facing right now today. I'm going to tell you today, if you got in a plane, flew 12 hours and flew to Iran and got out and just started waving your Bible around, you would see how quickly you would be persecuted. Hello. You being an American, they might have some tact with you, but not very much. But you being a native of that country, you would be caned and probably put to death. And I'm going to show you that today, right now. We're not talking like somewhere far off in the distance. We're talking right now people are suffering for Christ while you and I are sitting in a nice building with our nice Bibles. We have to understand that if persecution comes here, God is not going to sit back and feel sorry for us. You know, it's like sometimes I find myself praying, oh, Lord, oh, God, man, I I can't pay my rent and, you know, or this bill is due. And all of a sudden I want to start having this pity patty party like, Lord, if I can't pay the rent on this four bedroom apartment, I might have to move back to that two bedroom apartment. Do you think God in heaven is saying, oh, people, you know what, you know what God sees? He sees the other 5.5 billion Christians in the world. And he says, son, you better get on your knees and thank me that you have a bed running water and a place to eat today. You better thank me that your wife still lays next to you at night. And you might say, well, pastor, what about the prosperity of the saints? That will come. But we have to get out of this American mindset that the gospel will not cost us anything. Today you're going to learn what happened to the disciples. Turn with me to Matthew 10. Verse 16, what does it mean to be persecuted, to be made fun of, ridiculed, hurt, spit on, and even to be killed, to be crucified, to be stoned, to be caned, to be speared, to be shot, to be burned alive for Christ. Bible says, rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven. He never said anything about your great reward in heaven anywhere before this. And he never talked about your great reward in heaven when it came to your family. He didn't say, take care of your children and you'll have a great reward. Though we would say that our family is the most important thing. Jesus says there's one thing more important than your family, and that's his kingdom. Hello? God did not give us a family for family's sake. Our family is for his kingdom. I got some stories to tell you because we all just think that it's all just about my safety and our and our little family. And God, you know, this is what you promised me. No, God may say it's time for your son to go to the seas of Africa, to the shores of Africa, and give his life for my gospel because he's mine before he's yours. Hallelujah. God says we belong to him first. It's a privilege I've had my wife as long as I've had. It's a privilege I've lived as long as I've lived. See, you all got to understand I'm scarred. I'm messed up. I've already watched these videos I'm going to play for you. I've already watched Christian pastors get beaten. I mean, you got to understand, we live in an age of technology right now. You can go to YouTube and see what I've seen. Right now, Christians are getting beaten for their faith in Christ. And I'm not going to sit up here and preach to you some watered-down, paper-thin, some full-of-the-devil gospel that's about you and I just having another car. We are going to learn what this gospel costs others and is costing them now. And we will pay the price. Amen? We will pay the price. We did not come here to make friends with the world. We came to preach to the world and have them get saved. Somebody say, hated by all. Y'all got to be radical to understand this message today. Matthew 10, 16. Look what Jesus said. I'm sending you out 
like little Barbie dolls and Kens into the world where you'll own mansions and have big houses and drive nice cars with pools next to them and you'll be on MTV Cribs. Is that what he says? Look what Jesus says. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent of doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils and flog you. They will beat you. They will whip you naked in front of everybody else. That's what it meant to be flogged in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, it doesn't say if they arrest you, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death. A father, his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Do you know that during the Nazi regime that Germany taught their children how to turn on their parents if they were not true Nazis? And one of the great people that started dying along with Jews were Christians, true Christians, were being killed in Nazi Germany because the children came back home and told their teacher, my dad still prays, my mother still reads her Bible. These are banned books, but they keep reading them. And they would have their parents dragged off. Are you listening? The Bible said that would happen to them. All men, verse 22 will hate you because of me. They're not going to put you on Larry King Live and talk about how much they love your books. Hello, I, I want to write books and hopefully somebody will read them. But that's not what he says will be the mark of this generation of Christians. He says, all men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Turn with me to John 15. Somebody say, hated like Jesus. Oh, y'all get quiet on me. If I said money cometh, we'd be shouting, money cometh. Everybody say, hated like Jesus. Now, we're not talking about being fools. We're not talking about being jerks nor having a low self-image. You can be joyful, happy as you suffer for Christ. But here's the point of view. It's not about us. You were bought by Jesus Christ. He owns you now. And whatever he wants to do with your life is up to you. We're not talking about just taking sickness and saying, oh, this is my persecution for Jesus. No, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about you being depressed or your children on drugs. This is my persecution. No, we're not talking about that. That's all the devil that can be done and that was accomplished on the cross, and you can seek freedom in Jesus' name. We're not talking about just being broke, busted, and disgusted because things are going wrong in your life and all that. No, the devil's a lie. You will prosper. We're not talking about that. We're talking about when you do good, you prosper, you own businesses, you own homes, you preach to your family, and now people betray you, they persecute you. When a nation says it's illegal for you to gather, now what do you do? When being a Christian is not something nice and giggly and they hand presents to you on Christmas for being one. No, but now we're where you get hated. You get beaten. The Bible says be ready for times like that. And I have to be a good pastor and get you ready and also give you the mindset of the nations, the other four, other 5.5 billion. Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. You see, how did the world get along with Jesus? They crucified him. Hello? You don't crucify somebody you love. 
You don't crucify your buddy, am I right? Larry King doesn't take out the guests and then crucify them. You don't crucify somebody that you're getting something out of. You know the American culture loves them a gospel message right now. You know why? Because we fill up all their books and, and Barnes and Nobles. We help have them make money. They love our conferences because we charge $175 and we, we meet at Orlando and we have all these little Christian amusement parks. There's a lot in the government that they love about this fake gospel. But the moment you start preaching about sin, the moment you start living holy, the moment you start acting like Jesus, people will hate you. That's the bottom line. It didn't say you won't have enemies. The Bible just says, love your enemies. Oh, come on. Y'all got to get excited. Say amen. You can say, oh, me, but it's coming anyway. It's tight, but it's right. Woo! Praise God. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. See, that's why a lot of churches are hooked up with the world right now, because they just like the world. They talk just like motivational speakers, listen to some televangelists, and then put, you know, push on Lee Iacocca or some businessman or read Donald Trump's book. It ain't no different. It's the same message. It's the same thing. Your life now, good, happiness, just keep giving, you know, do whatever for your own benefit. It's just all about, you know, yourself, building your little kingdom. Just read Oprah Winfrey, okay? You'll get the point. The Bible says she'll love you as long as you're like her. But I have chosen you out of this world. This is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant. Look at this. This is, this is right here. I got, I got to speak to everybody that grew up like I did, listening to preachers that said, well, God already went through it. We're not going to go through it. So we were taught that. You know, Jesus took our sins, so I don't have to have sin. Jesus took my sickness, so I don't have to have sickness. We understand. There's a lot of truth in that. But this is not when it comes to persecution, my friend. You better get a wake-up call if you're thinking that way, because this is exactly what he said. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey you also. There it is. So that means if I preach like Jesus, somewhere in my life, somewhere in my everyday life, I'm going to be persecuted. The Bible says if they persecute him, they're going to persecute me. And the Bible says if people listen to him, they're going to listen to me. Same thing with you. Look at verse 21. They will treat you this way because of my name. Because of mine, everybody say the name of Jesus. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoke to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. Why do they hate us? Because we talk about their sin. As much as I want to talk about being blessed and happy, as much as I want to talk about the things that go along with that, we had our little Dr. Phil message last week, you know, how to get along with your wife and all of that. And maybe that was a little bit easier to swallow. That was a little twinky, and that tasted good. But I'm going to tell you what, here's the Brussels sprouts and beans. Here's the vegetables today. Here it is right here. When we talk about sin, people will get mad. You've got to get that in your mind. You will not go out evangelizing us with us and just start skipping through the neighborhoods and everybody's just going to start throwing a parade for us. We will see people saved. We will see the nations change. Matter of fact, the places right now that are getting the most heavy persecution, where they are dying the most, being imprisoned the most, being beaten the most, the gospel is growing the most. So you will see that happen. But I'm going to tell you what, in the midst of that, people are getting mad. Everybody say, hey, to like Jesus. I want you now to turn with me to John 17:14. Somebody say, hated by the world. Now, I want you to do me a favor. Next time you watch your favorite televangelist, like I said, I probably know them all, have their books. I want you just to ask yourself, when is the last time you heard them say one of these scriptures? 
It's not like I just picked out one lone verse. I just showed you about 20 already. Amen? I mean, I'm showing you passages. Ask yourself, when was the last time they taught me this? And then say to yourself, well, why aren't they teaching me how to be happy? The Bible says you're blessed. I'm teaching you how to be blessed. So some people might say, oh, pastor, he's so mean. He's so crazy. You know what I love when people do? They try to to define my Christianity like it's different from the Christianity of the Bible. Well, that's just Pastor Joe's way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over to this church, and I'm going to do it the right way. Like I just woke up one morning and put this in the Bible. Like I just say, you know what? I'm going to get here before all of y'all, and I'm going to write these verses in the Bible so we can all be crazy together. Is that what's going on? No, your pastor just woke up about 12 years ago and said, I'm going to preach the Bible. I'm going to preach it where it says I'm blessed and you own silver and gold, and I'm going to preach it where it says I'm going to be hated by this world. That's the full gospel, Amen. And if that offends you, you need to get over it. Because if this offends you, then you are on the wrong side. You need to get with the disciples. You know, sometimes when Jesus started causing problems, the disciples were like, hold on, Jesus. One time Jesus was preaching, and the town governor got upset. And and then the disciples came to Jesus. Hey, man, Jesus, if you stay here, Herod is going to get mad. He might put you in prison. Jesus said back to him, tell that fox, I'm going to preach here today, tomorrow, and I'll leave when I'm ready. That's how Jesus talked, y'all. When Jesus was down for business, he wasn't down to compromise with the devil. The rich man came to him and said, hey, Jesus, what do I got to do to get into your kingdom? Jesus said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Man said, I can't do that. Jesus kept walking. He didn't have time to play with that. He didn't have time to say, well, let me just sign this book for you. Then let me get your $15 and the $5.95 for the special cloth that goes with it. And then we'll be friends. No, no. Jesus said it's all or nothing. Amen. Some of y'all got the cloth thing there. Amen. Oh, Jesus, help us. Don't fall for that. Verse 14, I have given them your word. Jesus is praying. We believe that Matthew 6, or rather Matthew 7, no, excuse me, Matthew 6 is the Lord's prayer. Our Father which art in heaven. Actually, that's the disciples' prayer. Jesus was asked by his disciples, Lord, how should we pray? Then Jesus said, guys, this is how you should pray. Now, the technical true Lord's Prayer is John 17. This is Jesus praying for himself. This is how Jesus prayed. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out the world and bless them and give them all this money, but that you protect them from the evil one. That when the devil comes against their soul, that when the devil comes against their mind, you protect them. Don't take them out the world and put them in some suburban wonderland. Put them right in the middle of all the junk that the devil has and the gates of hell will not prevail. Father, protect this church. That's what he says. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. You want to know what happened to the last 12, the the first 12 disciples? Here's what happened to them. I promise you, I'll tell you this the whole time. Okay, so here's the message now. Here's the message. Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, for great is their reward in heaven. What was Peter, a fisherman? Remember when he met Peter, what did he say to him? Peter, come follow me, and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. You know how Peter died? Look at Peter, verse 7. They found Peter. He was an older man. They beat him. They then took him to the outside the city, stripped him naked, and were going to crucify him like Jesus. He said, I'm not worthy to die like Jesus. They crucified Peter upside down. 
He said, I can't die the same way Jesus died. Just, just do it differently. And they flipped him upside down and crucified him. That's how Peter died. The same one that walked on water. The same one that saw 5,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. That man gave his life for his Savior. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded. That's John's brother. They beheaded him. The next one, Philip, was scourged. That means they beat him, and they were putting hot irons on him. They were syringing his body. They imprisoned him. They starved him, and then they crucified him. You know the book of Matthew? Named after Matthew, the tax collector, Matthew was making money. Matthew was a successful businessman. Jesus said, leave all you have and follow me. Matthew was speared to death by riots. People were having a riot, and they speared him to death while he was preaching. Some of you won't come on these street corners and preach with us. I, has, I stood out here one time in this wonderful Polish Catholic man. I'm Polish, by the way. Vorostics, I know nothing wrong with Polish people. But this wonderful Polish man comes out with this medallion that, I mean, it was as big as a softball of Jesus and all this. And I say, my friend, would you like to come to our church? I don't come to a church in a storefront. I go to a big church. And I said, well, man, you need to go to a church where Jesus is. And he said, are you the pastor? Yes, I'm the pastor. I would never go to a church where the pastor's on the street doing what you're doing. My pastor doesn't do that. He's in a big church. I said, I feel sorry for you and your pastor because Jesus was on the streets with the people. Jesus preached to the people. That's where Jesus was. He was right there where they were. And that's where Matthew was when he got speared to death. James, the son of Alphaeus, was beaten. Then he was stoned. You're talking these people. It didn't end with Jesus. You know, sometimes we look at Jesus on the cross. He dies. It's like, oh, okay, he resurrects. Now the church just kind of has a good time now. Now they start building mega churches with malls inside and water slides. And nothing wrong with those things. I would love to have a water slide in our church too. Amen. Little fountains and little Jesus buttons, okay, and all these little things they sell in the bookstore. But that's not how the church went. Jesus died. And then guess what? Peter died. Then Matthew died. But the gospel is touching the world. Andrew was crucified. Peter upside down. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew beaten, then crucified. Thomas was speared to death. The other Judas was crucified. John is the only one that didn't die, but they tried to kill him. They put him in hot oil and boiled him alive. But he wouldn't die. God spared his life, and he kept preaching. I want you to see right here the church history. This is something you're going to have to go back over and listen to the message again to get it in your mind where you got here. To, how did you get here today? Why this church is here today? I'm not trying to fit in with this Pop-Tart gospel that just appeared since the 80s. Y'all, y'all, y'all listening to me? I'm not here to get along with that. I want to be with the boys that lasted through 2,000 years. This is what happened. After Jesus left, the apostles began to develop the church, 90 to 200 A.D. The church began to grow and spread across the known world. Nero threw them in uh, um, coliseums. They were eaten alive by lions. They were burned alive. They were burned alive, singing songs with joy on their faces. Some of you all can't even sing today because something went wrong in your day. You fall asleep in service. It has to be all about you. And here our forefathers were burned to death, singing songs and smiling, saying, Glory to God. What an honor it is to suffer. Suffer for my Lord. Glory. That's the Christian I want to be around. 
Then you have this, the age of the Roman Catholic Church. Do not let Catholics lie to you. We love them as people. But the Pope is a lie. The Catholic Church is a lie. They did not come from Peter. They started in the 4th century, in 300 A.D. The word Pope is not even found to 500 A.D. The Roman Catholic Church then begins to persecute the own Christians. You need to go to these websites and understand the persecution. First it started with the Jews. Then it moved to the Roman Empire. Then when the Christians won over the Roman Empire, they made Rome the capital church and made Christianity a state religion. And then they persecuted every other church that was not with them. Then you have what's known as the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages. And from 476 to 1500, you have the Catholic Church, the Church of England, the Church of France, along with their kings and queens, burning Christians at the stake. Oh, it gets quiet when I preach like that. You need to learn about Wycliffe. You need to understand why you read a Bible today in your own language. The Catholic Church had it in Latin only for the purpose that you would not be able to understand it. And only theologians who understood Latin could read Latin. Are you listening? And they chained their Bible to the pulpit and you were not even allowed to touch it. John Wycliffe stole the Bible, began to translate it. The Gutenberg Press was developed, the first printing press was developed to print a Bible and put it in every person's hand. They tried to kill John Wycliffe. They hated him so much that when he died, they they took up his body, priests put up his body, brought it to the town square, burned it, and then spread his assage all over a garbage pile. That's how much they hated the man that brought you the Bible. That was in the late Middle Ages. Then you have the Reformation. You have Martin Luther laying down his life and Calvin. Then you have the Puritans, many of them traveling to America because they want freedom from not only kings and queen tyranny, they want religious freedom because the religious people of that day were killing them. And then the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and the Pentecostal Age. Somebody say, come on, Jesus. Looking at this timeline, I want you to understand that over 100 million Christians have died in the last 2,000 years. Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the entire world. Y'all didn't know that, did you? See, we got in our little .5 bubble in America, and you forgot that there was another 5.5 billion. We are the most hated group in this world. We are the most hated Muslims come in power, who do they go after first? Christians. Communists come in power, who do they go after first? Christians. A hundred million have died. More Christians die now than ever before. Every year more Christians are dying than ever before. My friends, we are hated by the nations. Presently, over 300 million, there's probably a billion people that know Christ in some way or another. That is one out of six. Okay, one out of six. That's, that's probably one billion, all right? We only have probably 30 million in America. That means that there is 970 million outside of this world. Are you all listening? That is a lot. 970 million Christians live outside of America. And the statistics right now, 300 million of them. That means the whole population of America, imagine 300 million spread across this globe, are under persecution right now. They're under persecution right now. While you're sitting here looking at me saying, why are we talking about this? What's the big deal? When are you going to get to help me? I just see it in some people's faces. And I pity you today because it's not about you. It's not about me just hearing your problems for the 400th time. It's about you getting over yourself and getting hooked on Jesus and lay your life down for him. 
It's about time you and I find a cause in Christ not only worth living for, but a cause in Christ worth dying for. You see, are you willing to lay down your life for Christ? You will be blessed. You'll be happy. You can rejoice. Amen? That's what the Bible says. Over 300 million. Here are the nations right now, presently. And there's so many. There's, there's, there's literally hundreds of nations persecuting Christians. But these are the most. You can divide them up in two categories. There are the Muslim nations which Islam started in the 6th century, 500 A.D., because Muhammad received a vision to restore the Arab people. And the only reason he had to seek a vision is because the Catholic Church was destroying and doing crusades in the Holy Land. And this Arab man had to say, God could not be with these crazy lunatics that keep burning my people at stakes. So he opened himself up for a false vision. He thought it was Gabriel, but it was a demon that told him to bring the kingdom literally to this earth through jihad. And that is what is going on today. I don't care if you have a Muslim co-worker that's your buddy. I mean, they can be our friends. They're our friends right here. We're not anti-Muslim. But I want you to listen to me. It is, see, we believe in Armageddon coming through Christ. They believe Armageddon coming through them in the military. That's just the bottom line. I don't care what they tell you. I will show you. We will have a guest speaker here, and we will teach you that the Quran teaches them to fight and overcome and bring the kingdom literally by force. And they are killing the Christians more than ever before, right now. It's called Shari law. That's the Muslim law. And that means if you just say what I said, you die. And I'm telling you, today, I'm going to play you some videos, and you're going to learn what it's about. This is not a game. This is not, I'm an extremist. I'm not into conspiracy theories. I'm not questioning everything. I'm not a conspiracist. I didn't think that at the year 2000 the world was going to end. I'm just telling you the truth. This is the fact. Go to your encyclopedia and learn about persecution of Christians. It's there. And then communist nations like North Korea and China are killing Christians and pastors right now. That's the world we live in. And now what they have, have, Christians have called this, and this is a great place for us to pray as a church and for you to pray, it's called the 1040 window. Everybody say the 1040 window. 1040 window meaning 10 degrees north uh, latitude. Here is an idea of our planet right now where this is all going on. It's going on into uh, Europe and the, the eastern part of Europe. It's going on in the northern parts of Africa and Sudan and Ethiopia and, and Libya and Egypt and Saudi Arabia and Turkey. I could just go on. You can't even be a Christian and be a, and allowed to live in Saudi Arabia or be considered a citizen. You're not even a citizen. And you got to understand, we thought the Holocaust was something when 10 million Jews died. I'm telling you, 100 million Christians have died. And right now in these nations like Sudan, there is a Holocaust of millions of Christians dying right now. Right now in Sudan, the Muslims are killing and burning and cutting off limbs of, of, of Christians. It's literally a holocaust, and it's, it's amazing that our churches don't even talk about this. India, a lot of parts of India are still suffering persecution, Pakistan. Then you move into China, which China has a North Korea right beneath it. And you have Indonesia, which is totally being overtaken by Islam, and they're killing Christians and beating them. And then you have the parts of Russia right there, and certain parts, like I said, of Asia, I mean of, of Europe. This is what's going on. This is the world you and I live in. And we are a little blip on the dot over here. Our little 0.5 of the world's population is just right over here. And we've forgotten about this entire thing. Brother, I want you to get that video ready. And I want you 
to pray this prayer with me, because I said we were going to pray that God would get us ready. I want everyone to bow their head and close their eyes as our brother gets the video ready. I'm going to pray first. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Father God, I ask today that, Lord, this will not be taken as conspiracy. This will not be taken as old pastors just crazy. But, God, this will wake us up. And, God, I pray as we see these images, that these images are not dull to us, that there is nothing of Hollywood in our minds, that this is not exploitation, but that, God, we awaken to the fact, the reality, that there are people right now suffering for you, that, God, there are people dying for you. And let that reality sink into our hearts, God, that we would pray for them, and that, God, we would sign on for the same gospel that they signed on for. God, we're not going to look for persecution. But, God, if they can lay down their lives for it, if these young people can get beaten and set on fire for it, Lord, I can preach in this city no matter what they do to me. And I pray everyone joins with me. Leaving our own wants and desires behind and following what you said in Matthew 6:33. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Everyone say this with me. Jesus, give me a heart for the martyrs. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother, why don't you go ahead and play that. Imagine. Islamic soldiers force your 10-year-old son to gather wood for a fire. The soldiers pressure him to convert to Islam. When he refuses, he's thrown on the burning wood he collected and left to die. They told me I would be released if I became a Muslim. I told them that was not possible. I am a Christian, so they threw me on the fire. Your son escapes, but the scars remain, a reminder of his sacrifice. Imagine, your teenage daughter goes to Bible camp. On the second day, the students are attacked. One of the attackers secures her hands behind her back, while another holds a piece of broken glass to her stomach. She's told to deny Christ. I did not answer him, so he pressed the glass harder against me. Do you believe your God can help you? He asked. Dripped with fear, she cries out, Help me, Lord, I do not want to deny you. Imagine... Your pastor has refused to register his church with the government. During the service, he's dragged from the church and beaten by the local police. When the officers find a Bible hidden in his shirt, he's beaten with it. After returning home, I felt pain all over my body. It was almost numb at the beginning, but later became so painful that I could not sleep. It is the fifth time he's been arrested. If he's caught again, the police say they will kill him. Every day, thousands of Christians are persecuted for their faith. Hundreds are martyred, about one every three minutes. They're not heroes or statistics. They're family. In over 40 nations around the globe, our family is assaulted for their testimony of Jesus Christ. In most instances, the persecution could have been averted if they had simply denied Christ. But they didn't, and they won't. In Sudan, an Islamic army is set on jihad, or holy war, has systematically targeted Christians. Death and suffering can be seen throughout the countryside. Countless Christians are being displaced within their own country. Fleeing from persecution, they've lost everything, often arriving at refugee camps with nothing more than the clothes on their backs. 
In spite of heavy persecution, the church in Sudan continues growing at astonishing rates. Many of the believers bear the scars of their faith, but they also bear a testimony to God's faithfulness. Over 500 churches have been destroyed in Indonesia. On the island of Ambon, Christians have been massacred in a so-called religious cleansing by radical Muslims. Facing increased persecution, pastors in Jakarta have encouraged their congregations to stand firm, confident that their suffering is a prelude to coming revival. With the fall of communism in Eastern Europe, many have hailed its defeat. But Christians in North Korea, Vietnam, Laos, or China would disagree. Hmong villagers have been imprisoned in Vietnam and Laos after converting to Christianity. Some have had boiling water poured down their throats for simply possessing a Bible in their own language. The Hmong tribe is the largest in Southeast Asia, numbering 10 million. Meeting secretly in homes, more than 2 million have recently committed their lives to Christ. The persecution facing our brothers and sisters is not a human tragedy. It's a spiritual reality facing the body of Christ. We may not be able to stop the attacks, but we can ease their pain. Through prayer, encouragement, and practical assistance, we can fellowship in their suffering. We can show them that they are not forgotten. It's hard to ignore their pain after you hear their cries. See, we have a decision to make. Our decision is going to be, do we pretend that this does not affect us because we're not in Africa, we're not in Asia, we're not in these governments that are so corrupt that you, know, you can't get anything accomplished anyway. They're already you know, having revolutions themselves, not even just for religious reasons. Are we just going to say, well, you know what, I'm not them. Well, let me ask you a question. Who are you to think you're better than them? How in the world do you think you're better than them? Because we were born in America and they were born in Africa. Do you think there's a difference between us and them? You think when you pray over your hangnail, over your flat tire, that God looks at you and says, Oh, I feel so sorry for you. But these poor Africans, oh, they can deal with their problems. No, God looks at you and I and He says, Grow up. He says, Live for me and lay down your life because He sees the other 300 million that are willing to die for Him. You see, I'm telling you, son, friends, when we get to heaven, we're going to see what Jesus really cared about. We're going to see what Jesus was watching. Jesus was not watching you and I go to our little water slide parks and Christian churches in the suburbs. Jesus Christ is watching those young children being burned on fire. He's watching those girls being killed, and he's watching them, and he's saying, let my church arise, keep on going, keep running, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I'm telling you something, when you and I get to heaven, and you even get the honor to be in heaven, and you and I sit next to one of them, they're going to ask you, after they told you their testimony, I died for Jesus, I got beat for Jesus, I lost my daughter and my family and my home for Jesus, they're going to ask you, what did you give up for Jesus? Oh, I gave up my Sunday mornings. I went for two hours, I gave my tithes every now and then. Man, how, how dare us think that we're better than them? That's what the gospel's about. I got just a little bit of time left over. I want you to look up here. This is what the Bible says. Everybody say, preach it, Pastor. See, I need your encouragement. I need you to know. I need to know you enjoy this. Can you say amen? I don't care how it convicts us, what it does in us. We need it. Amen? Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you and I will not grow weary in doing good. Amen? The Bible says there is a stadium in heaven. The cloud of witnesses is Peter and James and John and Paul was beheaded as well. Timothy was an old man living in Ephesus preaching the gospel. They took him in a riot, drug him through the city and stoned him naked in front of everybody as an old man. If you want to know how Paul and Timothy died. But this, this Bible is teaching us that there is a stadium. That somehow in heaven these saints are now watching you and I. And the Bible says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside our sins let's get over the junk in our lives the garbage that holds us back let's lay aside every way that so easily hinders us get over your attitude get over your me myself and I attitude and the Bible says run the race set before you with perseverance looking unto Jesus amen Keep running your race. Young people, it doesn't matter what they say or do to you. Keep running your race. Every family here, you ought to preach your gospel, gospel of Christ, and keep running the race. You see, what we're thinking here is, oh, I just got to deal with my sin. The Bible says, get over your sin. Get over the junk in your life and run the race for Jesus. I can just see throughout the church history, Peter takes the gospel and he runs with it. He hands it to Paul. Paul hands it to Timothy. Timothy dies and he hands it to the next generation. Then they get burned at stakes and Martin Luther comes along. And then all of a sudden you can see them handing the torch to you and I. Will you run with the gospel? Our Savior wants us to run with the gospel. He said, go into all the world. You know what is so outstanding? Is that the people in these nations, they are so crazy for Jesus. That the people in North Korea will flee North Korea to go to China to preach the gospel. They will go from one persecuted nation to another. You have them having revival. you got people in Afghanistan. Instead of running to America, they run over to Iran just to keep preaching the gospel. And here we can't even cross the street. Here we can't even give our tithes and offerings. I'm not speaking that specifically over Metro Praise because we're going to be different, amen? But I'm talking about the church in America. It's bless me now, bless me quick, my way, right away, all of these things. We need to put that gospel back to hell where it came from and start preaching this gospel because these are our heroes. They are the ones that we want to live like. Don't be like that guy on TV. Be like that young boy that said, I love Jesus no matter what it costs me. When you feel like picking up your cigarette, sir, ask yourself this question. Is Jesus' blood strong enough to you and you to defeat the works of the devil? Get over it and start living for God. When you want to quit reading your Bible, oh, I'm so tired. I worked 10 hours today. When you feel like putting down that Bible, ask yourself if that girl could have a broken piece of glass put against her stomach. You can stay up and read your Bible and become a man study to show himself approved. Hallelujah, we need to stop making excuses. I was on drugs. I drank alcohol. I had sex. It only took not 12 steps, but one step to Jesus Christ. He rocked and changed my life. He handed me the torch and he says, son, run with the gospel. Hallelujah, and we're not going to stop running till we reach heaven. Amen? 
and we're going to take as many with us as we can. Now, if we can do that with nice cars and nice homes, then praise God. But let us never get a complaining spirit like God owes us something. He owes us nothing. We owe him our life. Glory to God. I want you to look at Song Young Nam of North Korea. He was arrested and sentenced to public execution for preaching the gospel. You can see all these stats at persecution.org or Voice of the Martyrs. Romania, we have a family from Romania. The man who started Voice of the Martyrs, William Winbrandt, was persecuted in Romania, communist Romania, put in solitary confinement, all because he would not renounce Jesus Christ. There are organizations that keep us up to date if you ever want to look at them. But here's, here's a face of a martyr. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Bam, you die. That's it. No more family, no more, no more Disney World, no more fancy pulpits for you to preach behind. You're a pastor, you love Jesus, you die. That's it. He died. It's a fact. There he is. You'll never see him again until you get to heaven. And the Bible says he's under the throne of God, and he has a white robe, and he's crying out to Jesus, when will you avenge my blood? Because when Armageddon comes, boys and girls, it is not a playground with little Dito Jesus in a manger. He's riding a white horse to inflict judgment upon a world that has rejected him. So if you're not right, you better get right with God. Amen? Because our God will judge those who have done this if they do not repent. The Bible says they're under the throne of God, crying out to him right now. Those are the place of the martyrs. Lee Me was charged with singing Christian hymns. Look at her. Just, we can't even sing sometimes. And here this woman sings Christian hymns. She showed the Jesus film in a nursing home and was praying for disabled people. Nine of her friends were sentenced to 12 to 18 months of labor camp. She served one year in a hospital bed chained to the bed. This is not a game. They chained her to the hospital bed just to torture her. And continued to beat her. She had to get a hysterectomy. And now she is at home on house arrest. So that's good. You know what they're teaching us, uh, what we're learning from these churches, is that the pastors, not they don't talk about how many you have. Like, oh, how many churches you have or how many people you have. They talk about how many times they've been in jail. How many times you've been. Well, I've been six times. I've been beaten. I've been tortured. Okay, praise God. You're a good pastor. You can preach in my church. That's how they know if you're ready to preach. I'm serious. That's how they know if you can be a pastor in their church. Are you willing to go to jail for this? Are you willing to be beaten for this? We're not talking about looking for a beating. We're just talking about doing it until we, are, we meet Jesus. Look at this man in the former, former Soviet Union, the eastern part of what used to be Russia and Soviet Union. He was conducting illegal religious meetings in his home and village and was sentenced to two years in prison. This is the face of persecution. These, these are just people like us today. Y'all remember Columbine? This is America right here. Let me tell you just a little bit about America in closing today. You remember Columbine, those two lunatics? Well, what they were doing was they were celebrating Hitler's birthday, which is, was an atheist philosophy of life, and they were wearing shirts of evolution. So they believed evolution, and they loved Hitler. And on that day of his birthday, they went and massacred Columbine, which, by the way, if you remember what Columbine did to our society, we were so shocked. We were blown away. People died innocently in the school. Now you can't even remember the last one. They happened so quickly. They happen in Lane Bryant's. They happen in malls. I bet you couldn't even tell me the last time you remember it because they just keep coming by because this world is full of violence and wickedness. If you teach children they're animals, they'll act like animals. Are you listening? Well, one of the things that these men had against their classmates is that they hated Christians. They found the Christian leaders of their school club. This could be Lilani's picture. You don't know, my friends. If Jesus says it's her time, we need to pray that she has the strength in her school to preach because she started a school club at Prosser, and Friday we were handing out flyers unashamed of the gospel. And they killed her. 
They went right after her. And then they found this other girl, Cassie. You can read their biographies on their website. Their parents have, have dedicated websites to them. They, they, they found Cassie under the, they went looking for her. They went looking for her with a shotgun. And they found Cassie Bernard. They said, Cassie, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Why? And they blew her away. Why believe in God was their question. You believe in God, you're a fool. Why? And they just shot her to death right there. That was it. Cassie went to heaven in America because she believed in Jesus. I want you to stand up with me to your feet. We need to ask ourselves a question. What are we willing to do for Christ? What are we willing to do for the Lord? Would you come up? Just Rachel for me, please. Would you come up? I want you to ask yourself that question. What are you willing to do for Christ? What are you willing to give? What are you willing to lay down? Remember, we learned. Here's the scripture. Blessed are the persecuted, for great is their reward in heaven. Rejoice when people say all kinds of evil against you, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the wife of a pastor. China, like I said, is one of the biggest nations right now, growing in the Christian church and also in persecution. Here is the wife of a pastor who's already been arrested many times, been beaten, been tortured. This is what the wife says. Don't feel sorry for us. At least we are constantly reminded that we are in a spiritual war. We know for whom we are fighting. We know who the enemy is, and we are fighting. That's what she says. This is not depression. See, I'm not giving us an excuse to be depressed. We should be happy till we meet Jesus in heaven. He said, blessed are the persecuted. These boys go singing to heaven, y'all. These people go singing and dancing and rejoicing. I know who the enemy is. She says, I'm fighting him. Perhaps we should pray for you Christians outside of China in your leisure in your affluence, in your freedom, sometimes you no longer realize that you are in a spiritual warfare. She says, you guys are praying for us. She said, maybe I need to pray for you to wake up. Because what's it going to take in America for us to start living for God? And I'm talking about America as a whole. I'm not just talking about this church today. What's it going to take for that church right over there to stop allowing homosexuals preaching the gospel and they're going to start feeding the poor again? What's it going to take for these mega churches out in the suburbs that want to just come here and build their little buildings to have their little, their little, you know, little, little Christian circus, the little choir? What's it going to take for that pastor to get out of his plexiglass pulpit and stand on that street and say, I'm willing to die for Jesus. Let it be known I preach here. Paul told Timothy, do not neglect the public reading of Scripture. Timothy read the Bible in the town square every day. That's what they did. They went right out to the time square, the town square and they said, John 3.16, God so loved you and me under persecution. She's saying, don't just pray for me. Maybe I need to pray for you that you wake up. The next time you're at work and somebody gets a little uncomfortable... You just brush it off and say, I'm going to keep talking about God. As long as it's in dignity and respect, keep talking about Jesus. Maybe next time, young people, when you're in school and you're at your lunch table and you told them that you believe in Jesus and he rose from the dead and they laugh and giggle at you and you start to feel embarrassed and the day, next day you wake up and you're not so quick to grab your Bible this time. Just get on your knees and say, Jesus, give me strength 
to fight. Because my brothers and sisters are fighting unto death. Remind me, Jesus, that I'm not fighting against Larry and Gary at my lunch table. I'm fighting against the devil that's trying to destroy this message, which is the only hope of salvation. And if me laying down my life for them lets them know the gospel is real, then I'm willing to do it. Would the communion come forward, please? This is why Jesus died. The question isn't, did Jesus die and raise from the dead? We already believe that. I know that. The question to you is, is what Christ died for worth what you're living for? Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Jesus died on the cross. What are you living for? Why did Jesus die for you? Do you think it was just for us to have these things? I was homeless. I lived in my car. I thank so, so, God so much that I have all the things that I have. But that's not it. He wanted me to preach his gospel. We're going to take communion today, and we're going to ask God to give us a purpose that pleases Him. Father God, we thank You. We thank You today, Lord, that You died for us so that we could live for You. And You even told us that some of us would have to lay down our lives for You. God, I didn't intend this message to be mocking or to be demeaning, but Lord, I just feel that even in Metro Praise there are some people that just come just to have their little, the little emotions tickled just so they can feel better about themselves and their life. And I pray today, Lord, they get over themselves. They do exactly what you said. They throw off the sin in their life. They throw off the weights, and they start running for you. And, God, whatever race you've put before all of us, you said you're going to give us the strength to finish it. God, some of us are going to supply the finances of the gospel. Some of us are going to go overseas and preach the gospel. Some of us are going to start Bible studies in our homes. Some of us, oh God, are going to send our children overseas. And Father God, if our children can die for freedom in America, then our children can give their lives for freedom of Christ to come to nations. There's a story, and it's a true story. It's called Beyond the Spear. You can rent it at Blockbuster of young college kids from Wheaton Bible College in the 60s, rather in the 40s, they went over to a remote village in, in uh, Latin America, and they went and preached the gospel. They were newly married. They just had children. And they went and preached the gospel, and the natives thought they were coming to attack them and killed every one of them. Their wives could have went back to America but their wives said, we're not going to let it in there. If they killed our husbands, we're going to go back and keep preaching to them. They can kill us because we're not leaving till these people know about Jesus. And when the wives came back, the villagers could not understand. Because in that culture, when you kill a warrior, the wife is a sworn enemy of that person. And here the wives come back and join the village. And that whole village gets converted. And those men that killed those Christian men from Wheaton Bible College told the women, after we killed your husbands, we saw angels and spirits circling around our village singing songs of praise to God. My friends, that's what the gospel costs. I want you to take communion today about that. Jesus, help us to live for you.